All right, it's time to kick off. Uh, before we do that, just to let you know the general structure of the show. So we're going to go for half an hour. We've got a little interval there where you can use the bathroom, get a drink, whatever you want. Then another half an hour, and then we're out the gap. We are filming as well, so we would appreciate if you could wait until the interval before you go to the bar, but you know, needs must and all that. Uh, we are here in association with Volkswagen, so thank you very much. That was a very German pronunciation. Volkswagen. Uh, thank you very much to them. This is uh, the 42.E's Rugby Show. We're live here in Dahini and Nesbitt. Thanks a million for joining us. Uh, so what's the story? Are Ireland going to win the Six Nations? Yeah. That's our job done, lads. Yeah. And, uh, we'll see you next time. Analysis done. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, uh, I was going to introduce these guys from off stage, but as you can see, they have joined me. Uh, one of these men began his rugby career in the Red of Monster before betraying his people and gaining employment in the capital here in Dublin. Um, that's Murray Kinsale, actually. Uh, <laughs> very, very, very nice to have you, have you here. The only man to ever return from a six-month sabbatical in Siberia with a tan, uh, <laughs> inexplicably. He gets sunny there in the summer. Who would have known? Yeah, nobody. I mean, uh, well, it's 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 questionable. We'll, we'll we might get to that later. Uh, Mike Ross is also here. How are you, Mike Ross? I'm great, thank you. Uh, I mean, Murray is obviously a, a columnist with the 42.E. You yourself were a columnist in the past with uh, the Evening Herald, yeah, the Irish Independent. Independent yeah. uh, now you spend an inordinate, inordinate amount of time sat at your computer mulling over the incredibly technical aspects of your life's passion, which is uh, probably not dissimilar to the man to your right either. Um, no? No. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> That's, I, I miscalculated, I, and I apologize. Uh, well, I suppose it's great to be here, Lance. Uh, three proud monster men sat up here. Um, Murray, we are looking ahead to uh, France and Ireland. Um, yeah. How do you think we're shaping up? Exciting time of year. I think we're shaping up pretty well. Um, I think we like to talk ourselves down probably this time of year generally. but um, Usually safer. Yeah, it is safer, but I think there's loads of reasons to be optimistic. I think everyone cheering on there recognise that fact. Ireland are in good nick. Provinces have been good. November Test Series was good. and um, So there's loads of reasons to be excited. Some of the other nations may be struggling with injuries as well, so that run of fixtures lines up nicely for Ireland. I think they're right to be confident, definitely. Absolutely. Mike, do you miss it at this time of year? Uh, yeah, you miss the big games, you know. Um, don't miss the preseason, tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can, I, I'm glad I gave that a miss. I was sending the lads WhatsApp texts to me sitting on the beach while they were you know, running uh, wind sprints back in, um, back, back, back in training. So. But yeah, I miss the boys, I miss the, the big occasions, I miss staying down the road to Shelburne, it's quite a nice place to stay. Um, humble so, Yeah, humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the, the big games are what you do miss when you're watching the lads run out onto the side of France or run out in the Millennium. Are you still in the WhatsApp group? No, I got I got booted out of that. Oh, <laughs> nice. that's what you get for your year's service. Sixty-one caps, and yeah. you're out the gap. Yeah, out the gap, finish. yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, I did. I had to go, you know, because it, it was June, and um, first I was kicked out of the official one, and then I was, then I left the unofficial one. So, <laughs> I don't know. how are you finding retirement? Like uh, you mentioned in some of the interviews, when you did step away, that maybe you didn't get the kind of, you know, the Brian O'Driscoll send off like not many do in yeah nobody gets that like <laughs> all right let's let's, let's re remember the circumstances of Drico send off right he last Irish cap we won six nations right his last uh, Leinster cap we won the pro 12 right um he had a 50 foot balloon <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the game okay like 
who else is ever going to get that? I mean, poor, poor Paulie, his last involvement was in, in agony on the Millennium Stadium turf. Thanks. See you later. You know, you had a nice little retirement plan in Toulon. Well, guess what? That's screwed. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think anyone else is going to get that, except maybe Rob Carney. <laughs> <laughs> no, darling, darling so, like, you didn't get the whole one more year, the, the, the year-long chanting. I was wondering maybe if maybe we could... Uh, well, you know, give it, give, get it going. One more year. One more year. No? One guy. One guy wants it back for one more year. I did see what I thought was a tribute to myself uh, when I was down in, um, where was I? Down in Claremont, but it turned out it was just a Michelin Man balloon. So I was kind of out of luck there. So I think, well, oh, geez, they're really nice. They really remember me down here, but no, it's, it's just a local tire factory, so yeah. But you are back involved on well at an international level. You were uh, working with the women's team, scrummaging. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that was announced uh, earlier this month, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I'm working with the women's team. They're a real good bunch to work with. You know, it's nice to be back in that kind of environment. They're like sponges. Anything I tell them, they just take and go to work. And um, seems to be paying dividends. Uh, I was watching them last week. They had a warm-up game with the against the Wales, and the scrum was going pretty well. They're drinking a few tears inside there. I was very <laughs> proud. And I mean, like, what's the? I suppose you weren't involved, obviously, for the World Cup, but sort of a renewed sense of vigor, like. Yeah, I, I think I think they're, they're everyone's very positive in camp. Um, Adam Griggs is coming in; he's doing a great job. Uh, so, I, I think um, I'm gonna be watching them on um, Sunday. So I'm hoping that we'll get off to a good start. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, like, we are here obviously to speak about uh, Ireland's Six Nations opener. Uh, I asked Murray how he thinks we're going to get on. He's written a couple of pieces. They sound um, optimistic. I'm almost worried by his optimism. Your general sense going into this one, how do you feel? I think we're in a good space. Um, now, I don't know why everyone thinks that France is a gimme. Like, I've never gone to France and come away from it and think, oh, God, that was easy. Jeez, <laughs> um, that, that I love that. That was highly enjoyable. Uh, no, anything you get, anything you get over France, you have to earn. Um, they have a lot of new caps on their bench, so they'll be dying to improve. New coach, you generally get a new coach bounce when a new coach comes in because suddenly, you know, you have to prove yourself all over again. Uh, they're probably a bit annoyed with, you know, the, everyone's writing them off, and you know, they're sad to France. I mean, French teams always get like a thirty percent performance improvement. At home, yeah, you know, so you're going to guarantee that. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned like the the effect of a new coach. It's almost like a sugar rush. You don't know necessarily how long it lasts, but usually there is a little bit of a, a boost. Like, if you on, on the flip side of that, though, you know, he's been with them for two weeks. So yeah, they're not going to be very organised. Even though Brunel, I think, is quite a pragmatic coach. He's he's going to play this quite direct style. I think with a bit of offloading mixed in. They haven't been together for very long. You know, there's been upheaval again. French rugby is basically in disarray. Like, I'm not going to write them off after what yeah. you just warned yeah. us there. Yeah. But there's so many reasons there for Ireland to go away now and beat them. Like last time in, in 2016, they lost inside the France. But I think that was a real low point for, for a Joe Schmidt team. Like underperformance. I think Tyg maybe struggling in the scrum that day. Look how much he's pushed on since yeah. then, and how much more organised Ireland are, are going to be. Like, I just think we talk of maybe the French a little bit too much at times. No offence, Mike, but. Uh, I just think it's there for the taking this time, even even away from home. Yeah, so like it's often, I often think it's a, a classic example of like lazy journalism when somebody, either a columnist or a pundit, will say, oh, we don't know which French team is going to show up. But this time, 
I genuinely don't know <laughs> which French team. I mean, we know the 15, but we don't know how they're going to play. Like, well, we have an idea, obviously, because we've seen Brunel, but like for years now, we've seen France sort of almost like devolve in terms of their style of play. The women are still playing phenomenal rugby, like aesthetically, men not so much. Can you see them almost like trying to revert to, say, the, the France of old or is it kind of going to be much of the same, do you reckon? Yeah, well, like, rugby's changed so much since those teams were, were dominant, you it's know. True. And France have always been chasing that offloading game. We were just talking before, like, offloads often lead to turnover ball and, and the other team punishing it. So I think France have actually have actually been hurting themselves with that desire to play the French flair way in the last couple of years. I think Brunel, with his experience, especially in the Six Nations, it may have been with Italy, but he understands what's needed to, to win those games. I think he's going to be a little bit more pragmatic and reel it in a little bit. Having said that, he's picked players who have literally unbelievable amounts of X-factor going forward and who are defensively probably a little bit suspect. Fakatawa and Teddy Thomas on the wings, who I guarantee Joe Smith will be picking out their weaknesses yeah, well, and running a few set pieces towards them. Well, they're going to be spending a lot of time, I think, turning and chasing back. Yeah, definitely. And, and Jali Bear as well, the, the new out half, who's a, a bit of a sensation at 19. And he's a really creative player gets up uh, right in the advantage line, makes those passes, he's got good footwork, uh, likes to counter-attack, but he, can he control the game? So, there's a yeah, you're right, we don't even know exactly what France are going to do, but I think for them to actually compete consistently, they need to, to kind of almost get with what modern rugby is about and not always chase that offload. Absolutely. Like in terms of the Ireland team, probably the first time in a long time, well, I suppose the last time when the overall squad was announced, Usually there's uproar about somebody being excluded or so, you know, somebody not being called up. This time it was kind of, even in the, the famed 42 comments section, there wasn't much <laughs> anger from, from maybe some of yourselves. Like it seemed like a, <laughs> I can see a few of you, I know your faces. But it, it, it seemed as though, it was a, the squad we all expected him to pick, and I think the starting 15 this weekend, probably the, the 15 we expected him to pick again. There aren't really any shock conclusions, and not necessarily anybody that you can consider overly unfortunate to miss out? Yeah, I think it was certainly long expected lines. The words are coming out this week that, that James Ryan was going to be in there. I think that is still a big call. Like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it is a big call. I mean, see you back there. Uh, <laughs> Dev, Dev, Dev's uh, been the guy who I thought would be deployed against in France, you know? Um, yeah. You kind of want that experience and that level head around. Uh, no, James Ryan is a phenomenal athlete. Uh, I've seen he's six foot eight, and he's got shoulders like LeBron on him. I mean, like <laughs> I, I, I saw him up close last year, both rehabbing from a hamstring injury. That's why I kind of taught him a few things. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you have to keep the legs together. You jump, James. Um, <laughs> but uh, man, like Dev has injured me three times in one lift. He has. He, he's 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 given me a dead leg on the way up. Kicked me in the balls at the top and landed on my foot when he, when he came down. So I, I, I didn't know what to hold, you know, just yeah, laying on the ground. But yeah, he, like giving him his, his Six Nations debut in Stade de France, it's, it's a big call. Um, now I think his ceiling's huge. Yeah. So, you know, I think Joe needs to, is with doing that with the eye towards the World Cup, getting seeing how guys react in that kind of environment. And like he's been kind of flag from a very early age, all the talk along the way is, and even talking to one of his coaches today from St. Michael's, he's a bit like Paulie, they say. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a leader by example, he's a really exceptional athlete, he brings that line speed, I think, really importantly, um, and as well as that, he's, a, he's kind of a quiet guy. When we interview him, actually, he's, he comes across quite shy, mm. but then behind the scenes, apparently, 
He's very effective. Yeah, he's obsessed and he's very effective with his kind of communication. I think he's a really good leader. He says exactly what needs to be said. Not a lot of fluff, not a lot of shouting, roaring, just really concise. So I think he's probably a future Ireland captain. Um, to see him in the team at 21 is not really surprised considering how highly rated he was on the way through. Same with Jordan Larmore, who's probably going to make his debut next, next weekend week, against yeah, Italy. I yeah. think Joe said, Joe said it today again. Those two guys are... are um, They've been flagged for a long time, and you you say it there. J James Ryan as an athlete is just that's so important. Like not many twenty year old, twenty one year olds can step into Test rugby, but he is actually ready. Yeah. He's physically capable, and that's maybe what separates him from other twenty one year old locks. Like you mentioned, Devin Toner there. Maybe maybe you yeah, you could consider Toner unfortunate to miss out. I saw a few people kind of. Uh, suggesting that because he's not necessarily known for his ball carrying ability that maybe he's not you know quote-unquote an impact sub but do we like do people really understand the term impact sub because he can come on as with a wealth of experience maybe change a line out and yeah. that's yeah, like impact sub it's not yeah exactly what you said I mean if, if there's line of struggling and dev comes on and fixes that then that's an impact hmm. you know if um, if like dev does an awful lot of work in the rocks you know, you've, you've done the analysis, I've seen Yeah, he's always up at the top of the charts. It's very good, actually. You should, uh, <laughs> should check it out. And in fairness, the, the was usually up there. The well. slightly weird articles he does, <laughs> where he marks everyone, which, you know, they, you should actually go on to Mervyn Murphy, because he does that anyway, so you can yeah. probably, like, save yourself save a lot of work. Hours. 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 Save me hours. Yeah, yeah awesome. just say, Merv, can you send me on the rook marks, please, because <laughs> I couldn't be arsed. Um, <laughs> That's actually a good suggestion. Because they all do that, and again, it's, it's all about your involvements in it too. Whether it's a dominant hit or whether you were just you, you were there but you didn't really need to be. Yeah. yeah. So I was always good for those. So like, rock <laughs> yeah, yeah, rock yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good rock. Move on. <laughs> we mentioned obviously Larmer will probably get some game time next weekend. Rob Carney is the name, like obviously synonymous at this stage with Irish rugby. Has gotten a hard time in over the last couple of years. Maybe a lot of observers feel. Jesus, he's been around so long now, is it not time we try somebody else there? I remember doing a similar event to this with uh, Luke Fitzgerald this time last year, and Fitzgerald said, oh, I actually think Simon Zebo is a better player than Rob Kearney and should be playing ahead of him. He later asked me to uh, take down a story in which I quoted him saying that, but he did say it nonetheless. <laughs> and uh, obviously like, the Zebo thing is different now, but I don't know, like, Kearney gets an awful lot of flack for somebody who, to my mind anyway, is still capable of performing, no problem at that level. No, no, as much as I can see Rob taking down a peg or two. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, he's entirely too smoke. <laughs> uh, he's a great lad. Uh, but the, the thing Rob does, I mean, how often do you see a ball balancing in behind when he's playing? You, you never see it, and um, that's the strength of his, and people kind of take it for granted, and you don't realize the value of that until you don't have it. Yeah, so, and like, I think Rob's been on the scene since 18 or so, mm. so he's oh, 31, 32, so, you know, for me that's not that old, you know, yeah. he, he's got the silver fox look going on, <laughs> but uh, he hasn't resorted to dying yet, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> only a matter of time, so, <laughs> but like, I, I think the value he brings to the back is, can, cannot be understated. Yeah, his, chat, his communication yeah, as well is exactly, something that yeah. players const constantly hold it. Carberry, Larmer, yeah. like anytime yeah. you go to these press junkets, they mention Car yeah. Car uh, Carney's ability to just like even move them a couple of inches and it'll yeah. it help their game. And listen, it would be interesting if Simon Zebo was still available to Joe. I know Joe has said it's because of his form, pretty scathing comments, I thought. 
I don't think he was too happy with what Simon said about his rigid structure mm. in the French media, so I think he was kind of striking back there a bit. But listen, he's leaving Ireland, he's out of the picture now. <coughs> if he was there, I think we probably would be having a debate about which way he's gone there. Rob offers different strengths to different players. You know, if Jordan Armour is on the pitch, yeah. your ability to counter-attack is magnified twice, three times. He's so good with the ball in hand, he can step off both feet, he can beat defenders. Rob probably, he still has his pace, as Joe mentioned, but he's probably more direct, trying to set a target for, yeah. for forwards retreating down the pitch, which is an important thing as well. His strengths are in the air, brilliant air, really, and I think that's going to be important against France. So they're different strengths. It's kind of horses for courses, and we may see Larmore come in possibly a 15 and, and then change the way Ireland can play. Simon Zebo was that second playmaker, so he had a second pair, a pair of hands to kind of uh, put people through gaps and things yeah. like that. So there's different strengths there, but Rob certainly does offer quite a few of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, some of Murray's famed analysis. We uh, are going to do a little bit of that live, if anybody has any interest. No? <laughs> Nobody? <laughs> uh, what have you looking at, Murray? Well, like I was just looking back at the November test, I was actually away, obviously, as you mentioned, so it was interesting to go back over the games and, and be able to kind of take a bit of time without the constant pressure of writing articles. Um, and I was really impressed with how Ireland played. Like, I thought since the 2014-2015 championships that the guys won, I thought it was heading back towards a peak in terms of <coughs> how accurate they were, how well people understood their little roles within the team. I think the discipline was really good. It was seven, seven and eight penalties across the three games. I know that's been massive under Joe. Yeah. Never give yeah. away a penalty. We have a well, no, never a stupid penalty. Yeah. You, you, like, you know, if, if penalties, you know, a matter of interpretation, that's one thing. If you've been dull, that's another thing. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, uh, if, you know, he's, uh, I've gotten both barrels not rolling over up quick enough, you know. Yeah. But exactly. He's, he's big on it. He's big on the rook detail. Yeah. thought that was good in November. And one, the thing we're going to look at now is, is the set piece. Um, when they won those two championships, 2014, 2015, there were so many instances where the set-piece attack, the power plays, maybe over two or three phases off a scrum or line-out, were key in winning the game. They scored important tries at important times in the games. Um, and Schmidt, his brain is brilliant. He's great at picking out the opposition weaknesses. I think we're going to bring up the analysis there on Luke. Um, and I thought in November it was back at a peak in terms of set-piece play. Because in 2016, 2017, we didn't really see a lot of it in the Six Nations. Certainly not enough success on their set-piece attack in November there were quite a few instances where they managed to break the teams down. This against South Africa, and this is going to end up with a try for Reese Ruddock. But it's all about each player kind of getting their role right. This here is Dave Kilcoyne. He comes from the front of the line out, and Dave's going to pop it down to him. You've already seen Sean O'Brien. He had started in that position, and he crosses the 15-meter channel so that Kilcoyne can hit him with a pass. Um, those two guys doing their role really well. Then you get Bundy Aki coming on this line here for the first screenplay. Um, and his role is going to be really important when you run it on. He just gets up ahead of the ball and you can see him there. He's just going to block in on one of those South African defenders, disconnecting him from the defensive line. And then further out the line, we get that second screen. Here's Robbie Henshaw coming in between the two other midfield defenders for, for South Africa. This guy here and this guy here. He wants to tie them down and create the space outside himself. And he manages to do that. It's a, quite a poor decision from Francois Venter, but the threat of Henshaw's line drags him in there. He bites in. And as Marmion releases that pass out the back, you're going to see the effect. There's that space. Look at that space left open by Venter biting in. Johnny, of course, is really good at tying down that final defender. You know, he's staring at him here. I think he actually gets a little elbow in. Usually he's the one getting smashed. So that's probably <laughs> good to see this time. He gets a little elbow on and Stockdale's away. Lovely pass off his left hand and Conway's down, down the right. Like, there's so many different little roles within that. Even here at the Rook, you know, there's Rob Carney. We're talking about his strengths. 
he hits rucks well. He, himself, Stockdale and O'Brien, that's their next role. They go onto that ruck and clear bodies away. Quick ball. There's an, another good carry here. You see James Ryan get on, to, on the latch on, on, on Stander and they're over the gain line again. And really good footwork from Ruddock to finish off. Um, that's brilliant finishing by Ireland, clinical in the 22, which has been a key factor in November as well. But these little roles that Evan carries out are just so effective. Um, I don't think Ireland did that as well in maybe the last two Six Nations. And this move actually, they've used it for years. You probably remember this one. They've used it against Italy over the years. I think Keith Earls, maybe 2016, made a big, big line breakthrough. But since then, it hasn't worked as effectively. Now guys are getting the roles bang on and it's working perfectly. The next example we're going to look at is against Argentina. Uh, it's a near try, but you mentioned Joe picking out opposition weaknesses. Mm. I, this is a really good example. Uh, I'm not sure what he says here, but something like, watch this, I just made this up last week. He's got a great brain on him, and yeah. I'm probably not saying that, he's a very humble guy. Yeah. Um, but it's a simple move, but it's done really well. You'll probably be watching this, Murray, so be careful what you say. <laughs> yeah. uh, simple move done really well. Bondiaki, here's a really important point from November. Really good carry, he beats that first defender, he gets over the gain line. If you're going to use these power plays, you've got to get over the gain line in the first phase so that the defence are backpedalling. He does really well. He's really powerful, obviously. And then you see three guys resourcing that ruck. Furlong, Farrell, O'Brien. And Argentina don't actually go and, and compete here. But if they do, Ireland still have those guys carrying out their role, clear over the ball and, and get quick possession. Conor Murray picks up. I don't know if anyone remembers this. He's going to kick, uh, he's going to kick deep right there. But we just want to highlight pot of forwards here, pot of forwards here. Those guys are running close to the rock because they want to tie in those defenders for Argentina, tight to the rock. They want them to condense like that. So and there is room for the kick, essentially. Exactly, and leave, leave the space. You know, the fullback from Argentina is already covered across the pitch, kind of penduling. Yeah, so Landaco, the scrum half, Joe Schmidt has picked out that he defends in that tight channel off the, off, the, off the line out. He's left exposed out there on the wing on his own. And you see Adam Byrne right up there, getting really flat, ready to chase that kick. You can see how much Landaco struggles, slip, he falls over literally inches away from a brilliant try. Um, also off scrum, like you, you were holding up that scrum for years, Joe is massive on that platform. Yeah. Because he wants to play off, you know, he wants to play off every time. Other teams... Well, it would be eight, it would be 16 forwards in a small five metre space, so why yeah. wouldn't you want to play with that space? You can manipulate the opposition. Yeah. So we're going to see a prime example of that. Uh, this is the try that Jacob Stockdale scored off, off, off Farrell's pass. Um, again, we're going to see a really important Bundyaki carry. Uh, simple stuff, he kind of dummies but he beats that first defender over the game line again. And now Argentina are backpedaling to get into the line. You know, they're struggling to, to make a good decision because they're moving backwards, Ireland coming onto the ball. Um, and again, everyone doing the role really well. Chris Farrell gets on the ball, he's nice and flat. Um, and you've got actually, it's important to know here, Peter Manny's come all the way around here. We're going to get another angle. It's interesting to see what his role in this is, just dragging out the defenders. But Farrell flicks the pass away, Johnny goes through, and a pretty routine finish for, for Sockdale. Um, showing his pace as well. But when we get that reverse angle, it's really interesting to see what happens. There's Farrell, there's uh, Omani, he's come all the way around, and he's just going to keep those defenders out here interested, as well as the other guys on the right for Ireland. Um, we're just going to slow it down a little bit. As Farrell gets the ball, the key for, for, for Argentina here is the fact that Iglesias bites in here. Uh, he actually needs to stay out and defend on Sexton there, because that tackle is actually being made on Farrell. Instead, um, as Johnny and Stockdale come around the corner, Iglesias has bitten in again. They've, Ireland have dragged him into that, because remember, he's backpedaling. He's not really set in the defensive line, because Bundy's got that really good carry, um, and away the pass goes. I actually think that pass is supposed to go to Stockdale, 
Um, I think Sexton was supposed to drag Iglesias a bit further out, so it looked really good, but Joe probably actually called the lads up on that, I'd say. That was supposed <laughs> to go to Stockdale. Anyway, they score. Another example of, of a good strike. Uh, uh, and we're going to take one more look at, at one more off the scrum. Um, they don't actually score off this again, but good platform. Uh, you see Murray getting the ball from Stander. He sends a tunnel pass to Sexton, and they run that very famous loop play uh, a little bit further out. Sexton puts Conway down the right. They don't actually score a try, but I think the South Africans concede a penalty, so it's a three-point set-piece attack. Um, let's just look at the little rolls again. Everyone executes. There's Bundy and Stockdale. They're the two guys running that tunnel. Um, and Bundy's line, again, is really important. He wants to get outside this defender here. He just wants to disconnect him from the rest of the South African line. As we run it on, you can see that happening. Look, he just gets in front of him, just there. And now Ireland are left with a three-on-three three for their little uh, loop play. And importantly, you've got left wing Courtney Scossan going to bite in, so that leaves the space uh, wide on the right. Uh, the lines actually from Henshaw and Carney, they're really subtle. Rob runs really good lines actually. He's going to kind of come out and back in here because he wants to, to, to force Scossan to bite in there. And it's he gets almost, that really well. Almost like an NFL running route for a wide receiver, and that like you're you're almost fainting one way before going the other. Exactly, yeah, the little deep the little detail. But Henshaw as well, like a lot of people imagine when they're running a loop, I'll go through there, uh, straighten it back up. But he actually subtly just gets to there because he wants to tie in that defender as well as that guy. So that when Johnny comes around, he's gonna be completely unmarked. And you see that happening. Uh, it's a really good pass from Henshaw right at the face of the tackle, away Johnny goes, and they get three points out of it. Just a few examples, there was loads of others we could go on for 10, 20 minutes here with just this set piece, but for me it showed guys being really aware of their roles um, and it showed me, you know, it was a prime example of them being back towards being really sharp in November and I think they'll be at a peak where they were in 2014, 2015 in terms of the set piece especially. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I called heads when we flipped a coin as to who was going to do the analysis tonight, I have to say. Fair play to you, Murray, well done. Mike, how interested were you in that stuff when you were actually involved in the squad, or was a lot of it kind of bollocksology to you? No, well, like I generally, uh, you know where you are, like three phases off off of first phase. So um, I would have had rolls along there, maybe just you know pretend I was going to get the ball. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they buy it, they're dumb enough. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> moves probably going to work in that occasion. Or I know I'd have to get the second rock, or I'd have to stay at, hold the width. You know, and um, create space elsewhere. How scathing was it when you didn't get that? When you didn't nail down that little roll? Oops. <laughs> uh, it wasn't pretty. Um, I generally don't didn't happen more than once. So okay. uh, that's one thing. Uh, if you come into camp, even if you've never been in there before, you're expected to know your role, know what you're supposed to do. And the first thing guys do when they come to camp, they go straight to the laptops. Right. And they review. Like we'll have a walkthrough that evening. You know, just, just inside like a ballroom or whatever down in Carrington House, you just walk through what you're going to be doing and, you know, it's not phys there's no physicality to it at all, but it just ties you in. I mean, like we probably do about four or five walkthroughs a week. And is the walkthrough for the benefit of somebody who, like, hasn't been in camp before? Even, like, you're going in new, you're expected to know what to do. This yeah. is your opportunity to learn it. Yeah, it off yeah. Just one so time. F find, uh, find, find someone who knows it and, you know, find out what you're supposed to be doing because if, if you if you go into it and you don't know it uh, he's very little tolerance for that right and would there be any sort of like i know like say emails and stuff like that are, are probably a big thing but like would you have any indication say even if you're on standby to join the squad would you be getting any of those details no. sent to you just no. on the day no because why would you like joe would never put anything like that down 
somewhere he didn't have control of it. And most coaches won't do that either, yeah. you know, because send an email to the wrong person and whoops. Warren Gatlin knows yeah, what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and as for the point that, like, as Murray mentioned there, this seems kind of very much on point at the moment for Ireland. Uh, whereas in 2016, 2017, maybe wasn't the case. Like, oh, I'm interested to know from both of you, like, was it that the focus was elsewhere or was it that maybe execution just was a little bit off? Like, what, what do you think went on? Yeah, I, th I, think, I think the group of players Ireland have now is, is pretty close yeah. to a World Cup squad. And you talk about the guys coming through, James Ryan, Dan Levy, uh, Stockdale, and a lot of these examples, uh, they're really driven young men who are incredibly focused on rugby. Like James Ryan, as you said, is utterly obsessed. He constantly reviewing plays and things like that. So even the guys who've come into the group, Andrew Porter, we're going to see an example in our, in our second bit of analysis later on, uh, they, they, they want to know that role. They want to be one of the best players in the team. They don't want to just get into that squad and, and be a young guy hoping to get a chance. Like Jordan Larmore, the thing that a lot of guys say, he, when he's in training and you know, if he's involved in a ruck, say, as a defensive capacity, he's still trying to piss people off, shove them off a the ball. They, they're bringing this attitude that I, I, I should be starting. You know, it's not, no longer good enough for a young guy to come into the squad and just kind of make up the numbers. These are really good young players that Joe Schmidt has got into his group. So I think the kind of combined collective mindset is, is really strong again. And Joe is probably more focused as well. Not that he lost form, but this happy stuff is even good again. We do have to be careful. He is watching, as we know. <laughs> He's always watching. Always watching. He's always watching. That is halftime, folks. So uh, if you want to go use the bathroom, get a drink, anything like that, uh, please do. We'll be back in about 10 minutes time. So uh, until then, Can everybody hear me down the back? Lovely. We're not missing anybody, are we? We can hang on if there's anyone in, in the jacks or whatever. All good. Well, yeah. well, either, right. either everyone is here or you're terrible friends. Uh, <laughs> but we will, we're going to kick off with a couple of questions here, actually, from you guys. Uh, Peter Ryan, I don't know if you necessarily want to identify yourselves. You might want to remain half anonymous. Peter Ryan asks, uh, will the France-Ireland game be affected by Joe Schmidt's comments towards the ref about France's tackle history with Johnny Sexton? And if so, in what way and how hot are those lights? Uh, that's a separate question. Incredibly hot uh, is the answer to your second question. As, as for um, whether the referee would be influenced by Schmidt's comments, who's to say, I suppose? Do, do you reckon that referees can be influenced by pre-game comments by a coach or a player? Like, I know like, that they'll meet, often the coaches meet the referees separately a couple of days beforehand and outline their concerns, like oh, France are cheating buggers here. And uh, But I, like. Definitely, there should have been some cards issued in the last outing mm. inside of France. You know, there was like some ones that were fairly very surprised that nobody got sent, sent put this in bin or sent off. I mean, certainly, judging by the way decisions have been going recently, there's definitely a red card in mm. there at some stage. So, um, I don't think it's Wayne Barnes, isn't it? Yeah, 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 so I don't think he's... Or, or, or Nigel. Yeah, I don't think Nigel will, will care one way or another what anyone says to him. Nigel yeah. will, will be Nigel. Yeah, So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you mentioned yeah. the contact with the head. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. I was talking to one of the refs um, yesterday, and they obviously have focus areas for each championship. One, again, is that contact with the head. Any contact with the head, you've seen it recently, you're off, you're gone. You have no chance of, of escaping uh, probably a red. Uh, the other things are the, the bind on the scrum. I think they yeah. want to have that gap. So even when you've... Uh, bound, they want to still have a little bit of a gap yeah. before they engage. Uh, the other one is around the rock, actually. I think we've probably all seen it quite a bit recently. Players not rolling away, but actually being pinned in by the attacking player. I love that one. 
You know, <laughs> oh, I, lo I love that. If I saw someone on the wrong side, right, you're staying there. I'm going to point at you. Yeah. Well, it's going to be like whilst they're trying to punish now. Yeah. I think they're going to push big uh, yeah. uh, punishing guys for like. He's like, not rolling cheating. away. Yeah. <laughs> Trap him in with your legs. Yeah. yeah. You see so much of it, like, but I think they're going to try and watch out for that. They've been warning players, but uh, I think they're actually going to penalise them. Uh, like the whole contact with the head thing is such a difficult one because if you look at think about the basic physics of it I mean I've gone in for a low tackle and the guy's ducked no yeah. like often you go like that you're, you're already kind of closing the eyes you're dropping into contact and the guy's kind of ducked into it and you haven't targeted his head but he's kind of gone down into it now I think Nigel is a bit more um, feel for the game that way you yeah. know the yeah. strict letter of law interpretation but it's, I mean stuff like that you're going to get some ridiculous red cars yeah. out of it sometimes it's just unlucky like but the concussion is such a big thing in rugby now they have to look that it has to look like they're punishing anything that's going to lead to a possible concussion I think that's what, where it's coming from players yeah, are unlucky yeah, and it's yeah. happened a few times even out the tip tackles and the sanctions for some of the tip tackles it's interesting because I was speaking to someone uh, who had spoken to a player and they said basically at the top of that tip, tip tackle now the player who's being tackled can decide I'm going to get this guy a yellow or exactly, a red yeah, yeah. if he tucks his body yellow card he's going to land on his shoulder if he's stupid enough to get driven down his head well then he can make that decision and the player's going to get red carded so mm -hmm. again there's like where's the balance there you know you saw that one against Quinn Rue I think it was a Connacht monster match around Christmas and he tipped Earls over drove him into the ground but it was a yellow card because Earls landed on his shoulder that exact decision I was thinking like how flawed this rule is because it's, mm -hmm. it's almost circumstantial at that point like, like if the intent is to tip a man over yeah. I, to me it shouldn't matter whether he lands on his head or barely lands on his shoulder and then his head it, yeah. it's not as if the tackler is in control of that well, they just, eventuality they want to give clear directives to the refs with all this stuff all he has to do is take off the checkpoint do you land on his shoulder no, uh, yes that's a yellow do you land on his head that's a red it makes it easier for them and it's obviously easy refereeing a match from the, from the couch or from the stand we all do it all the time yeah, they, have a pretty, they have a pretty tough job, so they, they need those directives, definitely. Nick O'Donnell, Nick O'Donnell asks, if Simon Zebo wasn't selected in the autumn or now because he's moving away, should Tyke Burner be considered as he's moving back? And when did it become acceptable for a rugby panellist to drink non-alcoholic beer? <laughs> well, actually, That's a very good question. I've fallen for peer pressure and I'm drinking Guinness now, so yeah. Mike Ross got to me. Uh, in terms of the first question, I think it is a fair point. Joe Schmidt's explanation for this is the fact that Tyg Byrne has played 1350 minutes for the Scarlets, huge number of minutes he was due to have 10 days off now and he's actually on his holiday now at the moment Tyg Byrne um, and then he would have been coming in and out of camp because he has to play for the Scarlets against Leinster twice during the Six Nations his contract and the regulations state that he must go in and out so Schmidt says I don't want him coming in and out, his first experience he's going to go on the summer tour to Australia he's going to be a brilliant signing for, for Munster but it's a little bit selective from Joe Schmidt. Tyg Burns' form has been brilliant. Um, he's also played a bit in the back row, so Schmidt was looking at that as well. Uh, so that's the reasoning from within the camp, I guess. But I think it's a fair question. I, I, like, I, I think the important thing to note is there's no, unlike Wales, say, there's no formal policy around this. right? So if there's an injury crisis, he will absolutely call up Tyg Burns. Yeah. If there's an injury crisis, he'll absolutely call up Simon Zebo. Right, we haven't formalised it. We're not. There's nothing to bash us, bash us with. So, if the circumstances warrant it, these players will get called up. There's no prescription against it. Yeah. But I think, you know, if you want to retain players in Ireland, there has to be consequences to leaving. You know, um, otherwise, you can't compete with the wages on offer in France. You just can't. So you have to, you have to show the players here. Well, you know, you get looked after here a lot better. 
There's uh, the Charlie McCreevy taxing. Um, thank you. <laughs> and, and there's also the fact that you will, you will lose out on your opportunity. If it's 50-50 call between you and someone else, you're going to lose that every single time. Yeah. So They've got to double down their policy. Yeah. They've, made the, they've made it clear this is the policy. Don't leave unless maybe you're Johnny Sexton yeah. and Joe didn't make the decision yeah. to let him leave. But if you're gone from Ireland, you're gone from the national team. I think they're doubling down the policy, whether you agree with that policy or not. But it, like I said, it's not it's not prescriptive. I mean, if there is an occasion where someone leave, say say Tig left, God forbid, um, he's, I, I imagine he still be selected because he's he's preeminent in his position. Where you know Simon Zebo, there's probably other players who can step in there and do as good a job. Yeah. You know, so and that that was which is what happened with Johnny Sexton because you know he's preeminent in his position. And so they picked them anyway. Yeah. Do you think there's credence to what Schmidt says about Zebo's form playing into the fact that he wasn't selected? Don't ask me about form and fullbacks. It's like <laughs> a terrible judge. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I think Zebo's been playing pretty well. Um, is he head and shoulders above everyone else? Probably not. So you know, if he if he's if he's on the way out, then he's going to he's going to suffer. Uh, when it comes to selection. Fair enough. Uh, Joe Ryan asks, do you think Leo Cullen would put out, uh, would be put out, sorry, by the amount of credit Stuart... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's going to bite me tomorrow. Eh? <laughs> do you think Leo Cullen would be put out by the amount of credit Stuart Lancaster is receiving for the improvement in Leinster? You know, Leo. But I don't think he's going to be particularly put out about it, you know. Um, it, was, it, it was great... He brought him in, and so yeah, like I think it was a, a great move by him because Leo probably would have told me the first told you he probably got the job two or three years before he's ready for it. So he like between Graham Henry coming in for a couple of weeks and getting Stuart in as someone who is a bit more experienced in the head coaching role. Um, I think they think they're a great partnership. Yeah, it's worked out pretty well for Leo Cohen as well. Like Lancaster been so influential all aspects of their game. And it's worked out really well for Irish rugby as well. I think Lancaster took to Ireland under twenties on Monday. He's been giving coaching clinics for for schools coaches, clubs coaches. Even did the GAA seminar, I think, the coaching seminar. So he's a guy who's really bought into the game here. Neil Collins definitely benefiting. You know, without a senior strong coach like that, who the players were really crying out for, I think um, it would have been a very different couple of seasons for Leinster. So I think it's worked out really well for Leo. Uh, Padre Kelly asks, how are the women set for the Six Nations? I think pretty well. Um, there's a real buzz about the camp. They're, they've played, they played some good stuff in that warm up last last week against Wales. Um, quite, I'd say, quite confident going into Six Nations. They'll do well. Yeah, good win against Wales. I think. And yeah. yeah. And some of the, one of the tries we were talking about before. One of the tries they scored was really good, kind of counter attacking, really good handling, and, and probably that style of play that Adam Graves wants to bring in. So yeah. Mm. Really I heard, I heard the scrum was unbelievable. <laughs> oh, it's <was laughs> class, <laughs> class. <laughs> Stephen D asks, is it pronounced Larmer or Larmour? Uh, both of you might know the answer, or possibly not. Larmer. Larmer? Yeah. I think Larmer. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I just call him Hey You because I didn't know his name. <laughs> 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 Although I tell you, like, um, I learned his name pretty quickly because we were doing a training drill and he pushed off me when I somehow ended up kind of like out near the edge of the wing and left me one on one with Dave Carney. I was like, don't ever do that again. <laughs> don't ever do that again. So. Uh, we'll have more questions from yourselves. We'll be going around with a microphone towards the end. So if you have anything else to ask, uh, bear in mind. And we will get to you. Um, Murray, you're up again. 
analysis two is listed here. Uh, yeah. How are, uh, what, what, what's the second part you're looking at? Yeah, well, I, th I think it's interesting to follow Ireland's development uh, in other aspects of their attacking game. Like, where, where do they go next? Where do they progress their game coming into wor the World Cup? That's in view now. 2019 is in view now. Um, and we were talking to Joe Schmidt at the Six Nations launch last week. And one of the really interesting things, he tends to put his little subtle points in there mixed into about a five-minute long answer. And you pick out a little nugget. But he talked about this new breed of forward coming through in the Ireland, in the Ireland squad. James Ryan, Dan Levy, Josh van der Fleer these guys who are a little bit more comfortable handling the ball. Um, and he said maybe four years ago, no offence Mike, but he said maybe four years ago he didn't have forwards who could do that kind of stuff. Yeah, excuse um, me. <laughs> <laughs> you just weren't allowed. You weren't encouraged, were you? Do you not seem a little awful to like Josh van der Flair against England a couple of years ago? <laughs> I'll dig that one out, I'll tweet it out. Thing of beauty, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but I think Ireland have probably got forwards now who are more comfortable handling the ball. We're going to look at a couple of examples here from for November and a couple of examples out of the provinces as well. Um, it's just an, an exciting aspect of the game and even in the last couple of years, I don't know if you can bring up the stats on Luke, can you? Um, just the percentage of passes by the forwards has just gradually risen. It's only been a slight rise, but back in 2014, 13% of Ireland's total passes were by their forwards. It dips down to 11% the next year, World Cup back to 13. And then you can see over the last couple of kind of big series, the percentage of Ireland's total passes by forwards has gone up slightly. Like it's not a great leap, but it's just a slight growth in their game. And I think we can see it on the pitch. Like those numbers, I checked them out actually af after putting this package together and I was obviously delighted that the stats had backed up all <laughs> yeah. that hours of work. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think we've seen, the, uh, seen it on the pitch and I'm gonna show a couple of examples here. The first guy is CJ Sander. He's not one of the new breed really. I remember he came to Ireland and at the start I thought he was just a kind of flat track bully. I think that perception is still out there. But we're actually seeing him a lot more now. Uh, passing the ball, like he's still going to have huge carry stats, but in this example, he's the guy in that front pod of three forwards and Johnny Sexton's out the back. Uh, you're going to see this pattern quite a bit in the, in the next couple of minutes. Um, and he just turns, swivels, plays a pass to Johnny, uh, Johnny Sexton, Rory Best runs that hard, kind of flat decoy line, and they go out the back door to Bundy Aki. Now this actually goes to deck, but if we had got, if Johnny's pass had gone to Bundy Aki, he can get to that inside shoulder there of Dylan Lades, and then he can probably free up uh, Jacob Stockdale at the left. Obviously, there is a set African scrum half covering across, but you can see that one little pass by CJ Sander creates a, a possibility a, a little bit further at the pitch, whereas before he might have carried. This one's a little bit more successful. Uh, again, he's in exactly the same position. This is a pattern we saw loads from Ireland. Again, those three forwards there, Johnny at the back. Um, and it's really interesting to see them exiting their 22 in this way. You see the second wave of attack. There's Keane Healy running flat line. Peter Manny's going to do the same here, a kind of double screen again. But again, it's that little pass from CJ Sander. It's not, it's not particularly brilliant at, at drawing in a defender. It just allows them to get to a different space of the field and they make yards up the left. We see it here from Munster, even with his province. Like, this is a prime CJ Sander boshing yeah. situation on the pitch. He's Bosh five meters out, like carry hard. But now he just realizing how condensed those forwards are there. Just turns, swivels, releases the ball at the back. Now Ian Keighley can expose this isolated defender. He can run at his inside shoulder. It's Yannick Nyanga and free Farrell there. Um, and it's just a little pass from CJ Sander, but it makes all the difference when you're trying to convert those chances close to the line. Uh, other guys in the Ireland team can do it. We know Peter Manny's got good hands. He puts a little tip on pass there to Stander in a better position, carry hard. It's still a strong carry, but it's done with that little extra bit of animation. Here, Peter Manny is again. We got that uh, pot of three with the playmaker at the back. You can see the space there. Ireland maybe have struggled to get that at times, but now we see uh, Peter Manny turn, swivel, release the pass. 
and they can attack up the left. O'Mahony's comfortable, Sean O'Brien obviously missing there, but he's comfortable to throw those passes as well. In terms of the new breed, I think James Ryan is a really interesting example. We see him here, it's a tip on pass from O'Brien, and then a lovely offload from, from James Ryan to O'Mahony. Again, they're getting out to that width and actually challenging the defence in a different way. Here's an example for Leinster, Jack McGrath tip on, James Ryan, great hands, offload. Another one of the new breed, it's Dan Levy, another offload, and Leinster can kick in behind. It's still part of their kicking game. They put pressure on, Montpellier scramble across, and actually from this line out, they score a try uh, with their maul, so it's, a, it's actually a, a try scoring weapon as well. Mm. This is an example for Ireland. We've seen them further up the pitch there in the first couple of examples, but now they're in the 22. Um, and people probably remember this example, Joey Carberry, it is all about his magic. Uh, he dances between the defence, lovely skip pass out to, out to Sweetenham. But again, it's that little link pass. It's Rob Herring in the front line, who actually had a good November series, I think. Um, and he just links, when we see the reverse there, he's in the middle of that pod again, look, exactly the same setup. Um, and there's Herring on the ball there. What Andrew Porter does here is really important. He's on his right, and he's just going to run this hard line here and kind of close off that uh, Fijian defender. When you run it on, you can see Porter get that block, and look at that disconnect now, just there. That's, that's what Joey Carberry lives for when he's on the pitch. Also, that's a tight head prop. Again, I feel like I'm abusing tight head props tonight, <laughs> sorry. But that's what Joey Carberry wants. He wants to run at a guy like that. You can see his footwork turn on. Just that little link pass makes a, a, a big difference. And then our final example is against South Africa, the last try of the game. Again, Carberry, integrity involved. He crossfield kicked. Sweetenham gathers the ball. Uh, Herring actually hits the rock really well. Um, and Ireland are into the 22 in a position where, you know, generally we've probably seen them smash that ball up. Let's beat this team for work rate. Let's make them uh, make a load of tackles in the 22. Uh, but this time, uh, Kilcoyne, who's probably been guilty of not showing this pass in other good situations, even with Munster, he turns, goes out the back door, um, and Carberry, Henshaw, Conway are able to take the chance. Good finish from Stockdale. But again, they're in that 22. They're converting really clinically. And I'm not saying they're going to be doing this every single time now, but it's just uh, having that option, having that awareness. Um, and just a final point, like if you're talking about a new breed of forwards, again, I feel really bad here, Tyke Furlong, he's, he's, he's got exceptional hands. Yeah, I, I taught him everything he knows. I don't know what the, don't know what the heck here, like, you know, being... Just two examples, you know, he, he's, he stays square off the pitch. Like a lot of forwards in their passing tend to get uh, quite lateral. Uh, pause it here. You know, he's actually interesting in that defender. You know, he's, he's, he's quite square up the pitch, straight up the field, and he's going to give Delan a chance to get a one-on-one -on -one and use his fend. You know, if your tight end prop is doing that, I think it's quite encouraging. And just in general, through all those examples, we're seeing Irish forwards make better decisions, what, what Schmidt is referring to with guys who are a little bit more aware of the space and, and can kind of mix it up a little bit. I don't think we're going to see all Black Sesk kind of counter-attacking with tight end props throwing massive passes, but it's definitely a development, and it'll be really interesting to see where that goes over the course of the championship. That offload against England uh, has a lot to answer for. Does, You've inspired a movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, uh, show them the way. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon? Like, I mean, given you were part of Ireland teams that maybe didn't hadn't adapted that. Uh, like, it, it is a subtle change, but as Murray has uh, demonstrated there, it does open doors. Do you, like. It wasn't necessarily part of your arsenal at the well, time? It, it, it's kind of like, it's an ar always an arms race between attack and defence. You know, so as it, uh, attacks evolve, so defences evolve, so you have to evolve your attack even more to come around the defence. I mean, whereas for Ireland probably exhausted teams just by playing quick ball, quick rock around the corner, wait for guys to run out of numbers. 
now teams are fit enough or they, they, they're onto it and you can't really tackle people past the ball anymore to make a big log jam from the run around which creates space. Um, <clears throat> so you've, you've had to evolve the game and you know, I suppose New Zealand as usual kind of led the way, bastards, um, <laughs> in, in that regard. So I think that's what you're seeing, that there's been an evolution of attack as, as, as things time goes on. Yeah, I think it is a global trend. Like we saw the stat, November tests Ireland 17% passes yeah. by their forwards. I think Scotland were 22%, or they were 24% actually, Wales were 22%. So we're seeing a lot of things shift that way. As you say, everyone's so fit now. Like yeah. One of the big things when you're talking to coaches is, how unbelievably intense training is. I think Eddie Jones has taken it to all together new levels. You know, he's got mm -hmm. guys breaking down in training because he's pushing them to this unbelievable level of fitness. So, kind of outworking teams doesn't work as much anymore now. No, I think. no, because like everyone's equally fit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Would so, you? yeah, I think I think it's a global trend in the game. You're seeing teams like Scarlets, teams like Leinster, the successful teams now. You gotta have more options than just being. Really direct. Like, like at Leinster, uh, every, like every Tuesday is a fitness session pretty much comes Tuesdays, you know, because uh, <laughs> Tuesdays, because uh, he, he, like the, the, the training drills we do, they're, they're, we rack up the same meter, higher meters per minute than you do in a match. Because, you know, like, so he has this little drill where you're running between two sets of 22s, and you do that like five or six times and you're gassed. You know, but it's, it's, it stands to you really well for games because suddenly training's harder than matches. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what everyone's pushing towards as well. Like, that's yeah. a prime example. Um, train at a higher intensity than you're going to play, and then those decisions as well will come a little bit easier to you yeah. when you're out on your feet and you, you've done it exhausted before. So I think that's the trend of the game, really. Yeah, they, they become second nature, I guess. Um, where you mentioned there, Scotland, Wales, uh, and even the Scarlets, it's interesting to see how Wales in particular are lining up for this game against Scotland. Ten Scarlets in the squad, obviously it's injury ravaged, but uh, you made the point to me actually earlier on that it might even work in Wales' benefit. Yeah, like their hand has been completely forced. All the, a lot of their big players missing, and that's going to count for a lot in terms of experience in the Six Nations where every error is, is absolutely massive. But they're going to ride this wave of, of Scarlets' unbelievable attacking play, especially in the tight five. You're going to see a lot of that kind of stuff from Wales, and we saw it in November. Um, Gatlin's come back from the Lions tour with this really strong opinion that he needs to push their attacking game. I think Rob Howley's quite influential. So it is an exciting Wales team, but at the same time, like you've mentioned Rob Carney's experience, yeah. like, having guys like that who've been there and done it is, yeah. is absolutely it's pivotal. I, I, like, I think remember when Gatlin first came into the job, I think he picked 14 Ospreys. Yeah. And they won the Grand Slam that year. So you know, it can work out for them. So you know, I know they were in injury ravaged, but you know, you, right Wales off your pearl. What about Scotland? Obviously a coming force as everybody knows. Like something in the back of my head still haunts me about Jamie Heasel being excited to draw them in the World Cup. I just, <laughs> it gives me the shivers to this day. It might be a year too soon for them yet. It probably, like their season will come down to this game against Wales and if you start with the victory obviously anything is possible. They've got England at home, you know, you bring the sort of a manic Celtic intensity to that game and who knows what will happen. How, how do you think they're coming along? They're coming along really well. I mean, look at their awesome results now. What's well, probably going to work against them for the Six Nations is they've been absolutely denuded in the front row. You know, um, Xander Fagerson's out. Um, WP Nell is out. You know, so, I mean, they've, they've about six or seven front six rows. Seven, uh, yeah. yeah, out. So, you know, if they can shore that up, uh, they, to be fair, is it? John Welsh and um, what's his name and 
Jamie, Jamie, Jamie Barry, Gordon, Gordon Reed. Reed. Yeah, they, they, they're they're exper- That's an experienced front row, so they're doing well to put that out. And uh, the back five looks pretty good, but I suppose it's in the backs that you know that you're seeing a bit of a renaissance among Scottish rugby. Yeah, definitely. Like Gregor Townsend's a really exciting coach. I think he's a very progressive guy. I was talking to him last week again about about visiting Pep Guardiola, what he took away from that. I think the big thing he wants to push with Scotland is the defensive side of the game in terms of having an attacking mindset when you're defending. Let's go get the ball back as quickly as we can because when we do, we have Stuart Hogg, we have Finn Russell, guys who are lethal on that kind of transition, <coughs> returning from defence into attack. So I think that's a big focus for them, getting their tempo up. We saw a lot of attacking kicking from them in November, really clever out in the 15 metre channels, Finn Russell dabbing kicks in behind. So he's definitely altered their style. I think he's benefiting from Vern Cotter's couple of years in charge as oh, well. Yeah. Because that, it had almost begun under Cotter a little bit where you wouldn't call it necessarily a renaissance, but you could see there was something bubbling like, and he's had the, the odd opportunity to bring it on further. Yeah, away. exactly. Yeah. He kind of laid foundations yeah. in. Yeah. I um, experienced Vern Cotter for the Barbarians. Um, great guy. Really, like, he's really kind of old school, but you can see why himself and Joe Schmidt work so well, so well together back in Claremont. Yeah. You know, so uh, very straight up, decent coach, nice guy. Yeah, and it's been pushed on now. It's exciting, definitely, for Scottish rugby. Like, it points to the fact that the championship is going to be uh, very competitive. And, and as you said, that first game, you get momentum and you go. Like, if Scotland win away from home in, in Wales, they're on, a, they're on a, ru- a good run and they take on England with a bit of confidence. Wales, if they lose in that first match with all the injuries, you know, their championship is looking very much down. Um, so I think it's going to be extremely competitive. I think we're going to see a couple of sides with three wins. And, you know, we talk about Grand Slams. England obviously did it the year before last, but... Yeah. Looks really difficult now with that with that level of competition. Yeah, I remember speaking to Schmidt recently. Uh, I asked him like, "Is it? Do you reckon in your tenure the most difficult one to win?" And he made the point that it's it gets more difficult every year, which is actually probably a fair point. Like this one looks particularly uh, precarious. It probably would be rude, I suppose, not to mention our our neighbours, England. Um, <laughs> Eddie Jones is uh, at it again. I think would be the best way to describe it. He, he likes uh, not even a war of words, but the, you know the kind of passive aggressive Ireland are favourites. This usual stuff. Oh, there he is. Um, <laughs> Joe Schmidt always plays it off very well. I feel, but like this, it has to annoy him a little bit. I'm not sure it'll influence anything, but like, can there can anything be taken from these? you know, supposed mind games. Like, what's the point of them from Jones's perspective? I don't know, maybe he feels it helps take the pressure off his team. You know, that could be, that could be one thing. I mean, Jesus, like, I, I know England have injuries, but they don't have a bad hand to pick from anyway. <laughs> you know, I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, they have 12 premiership teams to choose from. So as opposed to four here, um, I know Warren Gatlin likes a bit, bit, bit of Banter, so we say. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, knowing Joe, Joe just doesn't. That's not how he works. Doesn't have time for that, you know. So, you know, it's different approaches. Yeah, like Eddie Jones got what he wanted. He said, "We're not favourites." Everyone's now talking up Ireland. So I think he got exactly what he wanted in this in this case. He was talking about these miracle comebacks for Itoje, Rob Shaw, Mike Brown. He basically has his full strength team after all this talk about his injuries. Yeah, um, I think Conor O'Shea did a, quite yeah. a nice <laughs> yeah. I saw a tweet saying, oh, I can tell you who he has now. Does that sound like a weak team? You know, he yeah. named them out. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah I, 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 I think he's over-egged the pudding there a bit. Yeah, I think the big thing for England is they're missing Billy Vunapola again. Like, I, Obviously, he's highly rated, but I don't think he's fully appreciated. He is an unbelievable rugby player. I'd have him in the top three in the world. I think if the Lions had him in, in, in the summer, they would have actually possibly won that series. 
he's unbelievably influential because he can carry so hard and he can make those kind of passes. Really good decision maker. Mm. Um, and without him, I don't think they're the same force. They're obviously missing Nathan Hughes in number eight as well. Um, it looks like he may get back for that final game, but we saw last year when he was rushed back f for the Aviva and Ireland won, he just wasn't at, at, at his peak and he wasn't where he, where he normally is in terms of his effectiveness. So I think that's a massive loss for them, despite their, their ov obvious depth. Um, so I think if, if Ireland can maybe get Sean O'Brien back for that final game, even if Billy Funicola is there, he looks like he's going to be very unfit if he, if he does make it in. So I think that's a big factor in the championship as well. Well, before we come back to you for both of your actual championship predictions, we do have more questions to get to. We will also send out our roving reporter, um, who is also the editor of the 42.0, Adrian Russell. Doing the I'll start with a couple of questions here. James Cole uh, says that given Joey Carberry is number 10 cover, as we get closer to the World Cup, how does he not get more game time? Well, yeah, I mean, but he might still get more game time, I guess. Uh, like, summer tests, November tests, like... Yeah. Well, he's straight back into the squad. Yeah. I think that recognition of his, his quality. He played once against Montpellier and he's straight back in. I think Joe would have been livid that he came on at 15 in that match. You know, Lencer Rory threw, yeah. uh, he comes on and plays 15. Um, one, of the one of the journalists, we were over there, asked Leo, and Leo kind of smiled, like, kind of like, I got one over there. <laughs> I don't know if, if that was it, but um, yeah, I think he does need to play more minutes at 10. There's been a lot of talk about him possibly moving province. So I don't think he wants that at all. Nah. Um, but we need him to play minutes at 10 because we saw in the last World Cup when, when Johnny went down, yeah. you know, he might have been an excellent player, but he wasn't at Johnny's level. He hadn't had enough exposure in those big games. Um, and that's been the big thing for Ireland over the last, since the World Cup really, yeah. is, the, is the depth. And they've yeah, grown in a lot of positions, but I think Carberry needs to get more minutes. It's a, it's a really good point from James. Yeah, uh, Connor WW, uh, with the advances in strength and conditioning, do you think it's possible for the game of rugby to continue the way it is for much longer in relation to player welfare? I might put that one to yourself, Mike. Uh, it depends. I mean, we're very well managed in Ireland, right? Um, they, they came out with some proposal there. I was talking talking to Murray about this earlier, to, oh, let's condense the Six Nations on six weeks. That's madness. It's up, you need that break to recover and recuperate. I mean, there has to be a balance struck between the commercial needs of the game and player welfare, you know? Um, because as you mentioned, like, players are getting bigger, the hits are getting harder, um, the, the minutes, the balls, the balls in play is increasing, people make more tackles, there's more rooks. So, I think it just has to come down to um, not, not, not shooting the goose that's laying the golden egg, really, you know, and quality over quantity. Absolutely, there's two points there. Like, there's yeah. the players, like, that's the huge concern in the game. Like, you're obviously just recently retired. Yeah. You're representing what the players, like, they're all talking about how unbelievably hard it is on their bodies with that workload. I think they're pushing strong for a reduction of the season. And also for fans, like, I don't know, like, but the Six Nations is so special because it's condensed, there's only a couple of games. You know, it's, it's quality, as yeah. I say, over, over quantity. And I think with a lot of leagues, we saw how Super Rugby went, like went to 18 teams and it was a rubbish product. You know, yeah. people didn't enjoy it anymore, they got turned off by it. So I think the organizers need to focus on that quality over yeah. quantity, definitely. It is like, I mean, is there much to be said for the fact that, well, it's well spoken about at this stage, but you know, we mentioned New Zealand, like that there is now maybe a movement back towards more skill-oriented rugby, more so than massive men, particularly in the back line, I think more so than forwards. Forwards are always going to be large, but that like it's not necessarily about bulking up to the point that you can hardly move anymore, that there is a little bit more well, intricacy to you it. You know, there, there's a bit of a balance to be paid between the size of you and how mobile you are on the field. You know, I mean, like, like Kean Healy, for example, he went up to 120, 122 kilos 
found it wasn't really suiting them, and then dropped back down. So, yeah. you know, uh, like you can't, it's not going to go the way American football where you suddenly have a bunch of linemen running around because he won't sustain the pace. Yeah. So, it, it, I think there'll be a bit of natural selection that way too. Uh, Evan asks, um, <laughs> well, Evan says, recently Murray wrote an article on a Hawaiian prop currently playing for Belvedere. Do you think we will see more imports like this in the future, or will World Rugby put in place rules stopping this taking place? Like, I think this is the tip of the iceberg. I've been meaning to write an article about this, but it's really interesting in, in the game when you talk to clubs and, and agents say, like, this stuff is, is only just kicking off. Like, it's a professional sport for such a short time. Like, yeah. It's always going to go this way. Like, when you put money into a sport, look at football, so much older than rugby. Uh, it's now happening. You see this uh, guy, Roman Salanoa, he's from Hawaii. He played American football all the way through and they brought him over to Sub Academy Leinster now and they're trying to teach him, teach him rugby. You see Munster signing two South African guys straight out of school. Um, even I, I've heard of English clubs looking into Leinster schools now at fifth years, maybe get them over a little bit early. Uh, mm. There's lots of stuff like this going on behind the scenes. And I think it's, gonna, it's gonna become more um, apparent as maybe journalists find out French, French clubs are setting up academies in Fiji. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. I was over there yeah. and talking to some of the Fijians and they're like, oh yeah, they come over and just pick the best and take yeah, them away. Because well, that explains the time. You were in Fiji. <laughs> yeah. It was actually raining in Fiji. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, like, I actually met Roman last year because last year, we, we had, just had a look at him. Yeah. You know, see what he's like, and see if he could be sort of, you know, potential in him. And like he's a big kid, I mean, we don't really churn out many people like him, right? Really nice guy. So, but like, I get the point. I mean, personally, I think you know, I, w I would like to see a kid who's grown up dreaming of playing for Ireland, playing for Ireland. That's my personal take. And now, the, uh, now at the same time, you know, I've, Richard Strauss came along and yeah. from South Africa, and he really bought into the whole thing. So, you know, I, I'm kind of torn a bit, but I wouldn't like to see. Just people just being brought in who have no affinity or haven't put in the time. Not the five-year change. I think will probably help with that. Yeah. So if you come over, you have to be really committed to it. It won't be kind of fly by night. But it's pro professional sport, lads, and yeah. you know this is kind of what you, you, you this is what you kind of get. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. Like in, in Monster's example, they signed a tight head prop and a, and a really pacey outside centre, where they had holes in their academy. Like yeah. as a professional organisation, they need to go. In four, five years' time, who's the next into that position? We might be okay now, but it's it's negligence on our part if we don't fill it. Unfortunately, they don't think the quality is there in Munster, so I know they are working hard to, to bring up that quality in the underage system. But yeah, like it is a concern. I can understand why people are pissed off by it. But like when we're putting money into the game, it's going to go that way, and clubs are going to keep doing. It. With that being said. So the, the, like the rule has been extended to five years, but as you mentioned, like French clubs setting up academies in Fiji, uh, English clubs potentially looking to fifth years in Ireland. Like, is there like? But like French clubs, French clubs don't care about the national team. Like, and that's also where it's going to go with more money. The yeah. French clubs, they couldn't care less how the French team is going. Even some of their fans couldn't care less. So, I, I don't know. I just, I just see the clubs not worrying too much about. Okay, we're taking five years for international rugby, but he's ready for our team in, in three years. On that topic, uh, Margaret Ahern asks, if you, could rob, if you could rob one player from any Six Nations team, who would it be and why? Oh, that's a tough question. A it question. is a tough question, actually, yeah. I haven't thought about that, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can come back to it, right? Yeah. Because we do have a question as well from the crowd. Uh, Jill Barrett is down there. How are you, Jill? Okay, it's just in relation to the psychological game. Um, I work in the area of uh, business coaching, performance coaching. And I'm just one. Can we ask you to speak a small bit louder? Sorry. 
Sure, yeah. Okay, I work in the area of performance coaching and I'm just curious as to the psychological game. Um, you know, in the past when we've been, as we are at the moment, touted as the favourites to win the championship and we're doing particularly well in Europe, you know, the provinces are... Wondering about your thoughts around the psychological game and, you know, any tips or advice you might have for the team as to how they can win uh, between the ears, as it were. So the... That's the same question. This is <laughs> sorry, no, yeah, I think, it, I think I picked it up, but uh, just to make sure... Um, yeah, they, they, it's, it's actually really something I've wondered about myself. Like, obviously, Jill is um, involved in or interested in performance psychology and how, say, generally speaking, Irish teams, when we're favourites to win, doesn't seem to suit us. And why do you reckon that is? Um, I don't know, like, we, we, there, there's been a lot of focus put in on the psychological aspect in recent years. I mean, we've got Enda McNulty, who's um, motivates that's the name of his company, uh, who's available to us for for you know any any psychological issues we might have, and uh, I think that's made a big difference. I mean, Joe's big on visualization; uh, he calls it the mind gym, so he encourages you to like you know if you're going go through the plates in your mind and visualize the first impact, visualize the first scrum, visualize the first ruck. So it's certainly something they're very conscious of and they're, they're trying to make strides in this area because I suppose, you know, it is a habit for Irish teams to do best when they're the underdog and uh, everyone's rolling us off, lads, we're shit, let's, yeah. let's, let's pile into them. Um, but, you know, in order to be best in the world, you, you, you can't function like that. And if you, if you want to be challenging for World Cups, you need to move away from that and just be a consistent in, in your pre preparation, your performance. Yeah, like that's, that, like again, that's another trend in rugby is taking that emotional element out of it. Because yeah. when you peak emotionally, yeah. everyone can relate to it. It's so hard to get back up to that point again. There's only so, so many times you can go to the well, I think yeah. that's how to yeah. describe it. So I think Joe's big focus has been taking that element almost out of it. So we're, we don't care for favourites here. Well, he, he, he still wants to retain, like, that, that's kind of an Irish trait, you know. So try and marry, the, marry them best together. You know, so not completely take the Irish madness out of it, but you know, to take a bit of you know psychological preparation along with that, so we can have the best of both worlds. Yeah, I should have mentioned as well. Jin is is running a uh, tractor tractor tour revival for Laura Lynn uh, Children's Hospice. So um, that uh, fair play to Jill, I suppose. There's no, no more to say about it. It's fantastic, um, lads. I suppose we need to get a couple of predictions for all of you. Like, I want to start with just the France game individually, and then I'll ask you about the uh, championship overall. We kind of touched upon it at the start of the show. I'll start with yourself, Murray. Do you reckon that? Do you reckon that we can go over there and win, basically? Because uh, as Mike alluded to, it's difficult to say for sure with France. Like, ah, like we're we're favourites, so let's go, just go over there and swat them away. It probably won't be the case in Paris, or maybe it will be. I don't know. Yeah, like twenty sixteen showed how difficult it is, even though French. Rugby has been in a messy situation for the last couple of years. They still have the athletes, they still have the scrum power, more power to, to beat you if you're not your best. I think Ireland are going there in the best nick they have done since they went and won that championship mm. uh, in Paris. Uh, I think they know exactly how they want to play. I think in 2016 they got muddled between do we kick the ball here, do we go and look for this attacking game that people, people have been talking about a lot. Um, I think they really understand what they want to do now on the pitch. Um, and I just can't see how a new coaching team in, in two weeks with a load of new players can put a game plan together to beat 
that level of organisation. So I'd be confident that Ireland will win. It's going to be tough, obviously, no, always is against France, but I think they'll win. Mike? Yeah, I think they'll win. Um, I don't think it's going to be easy. I think there's probably going to be less than uh, seven points in it. But hopefully we'll win about, about six points, I think. Probably. It'll probably be squeaky bum time near the end, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll start with yourself then for the championship overall. Obviously, it's a bit of a minefield trying to predict it, but let's have a punt at it. Say if they start with a win, as you both predict in Paris, it does open up massively for Ireland, like, and, and it may well come down to that last game in Twickenham. Mm. How do you see the tournament going? Like, is is it are the days gone when you can kind of say fancy Ireland for a Grand Slam here? Is it just about winning a tournament first and then? I, I don't think there's going to be a Grand Slam. Right. I don't think so. Um, I think we're probably going to win it on points. You know, um, might come it might come down to the last game. You know, so. Are they England away to Wales or something? England away to Scotland and France. Home to Wales, away to France. Away to France. So I think England will lose some point. Um, England, they might squeak home, at home. Uh, so it could be down to points difference. The old-fashioned way. Yeah. Yeah. I go along with that. I don't think there's going to be a grand slam. I think Ireland will do enough. I think England might actually slip up before that game, win the last game, and we'll have a situation like like last year where you're celebrating after, after losing the game. I just think Ireland's squad is in a really good place. They have a nice element of youth in there. They have some experienced heads. Johnny Sexton's having a great season. Tyke Furlong, probably the best tight head in the competition. Connor Murray's probably the best nine in the competition. I think there's so many reasons to be confident and that run of fixtures suits them really well. Get over that first hurdle, three home games, and you can have four wins there before you travel to Twickenham. I think you were talking about favourites. I don't think Ireland should be shying away from the fact that it's there for the taking. I said it's been a while since we won in Twickenham, so we're probably due one. Yeah, it'd be a nice way to finish. Yeah, yeah be nice so we're saying a grand slam. Yeah, grand slam. Yeah, grand slam. Yeah, grand slam. Yeah. yeah, Jesus, we take that all right, yeah. 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 Come here, folks. Thanks a million for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we have got a signed Ireland jersey to give away, and I think uh, Jill Barrett is, is the perfect recipient. Hopefully, you can raise some money for the hospice and uh, doing great work. So, fair play to you. To everyone else, thanks so much for coming. Thanks for your questions. And enjoy the game over the weekend. Of course, of course, I forgot to thank our sponsors, Volkswagen, but I'll thank them now. Volkswagen. Uh, if you're going to buy a car, buy a Volkswagen. There you go. Cheers. Thanks a million. Exactly.